Okay, good morning everyone. Um, I think we'll begin. So it's Parshas Va'eschanan this week. Um, the second Parsha in, in Sefer Dvarim. So just to begin with a little bit of an overview. First of all, um, we have the, at the beginning we have the tefillah, we have the prayer of Moshe Rabbeinu wanting to go into Israel. Um, we see the power of davening actually because Moshe Rabbeinu prayed so much to go into Eretz Yisrael. In fact, the gematria, the numerical value of the word Vaschanon is 515. Chazal tell us that he davened for 515 times and Hashem actually told him to stop because if he had davened one more time, Hashem would have, so to speak, have to let him go into Eretz Yisrael, which is an amazing um, double lesson. Number one, the power of tefillah, but also that sometimes we need to daven more. And sometimes we have to keep knocking on the door. So that's just a small lesson from, from, from the Parsha. We have in the Parsha, of course, some words of reprimand, more, more awakening for the Jewish people. Some very famous psukim, you shall guard your souls. That's one of the mitzvahs, one of the psukim that we, in context, means something different, but actually the Chazal learned from it the mitzvah of looking after our health. Of the famous psukim related to Matan Torah, Atta Reisel Adas, you have shown us to know that Hashem who is Elokim and there's none besides Him. We have the psuk that we say every day towards the end of the first paragraph of Oleinu, that Daito Hayoyim you shall know today and take to heart that Hashem is the God and there's not, none other besides Him, and so on and so forth. Of course, this week's parsha we have the repetition of the. Ten Commandments, the Aseris Adibris. Many, we're not going to go into today, but many, many Mepharshim go into the differences between how the Aseris Adibris is recorded in this week's Parsha and the way it's recorded the first time in Parsha's Yisrael. Most notably is the famous, the famous one that uh, to do with Shabbos, that in Yisrael it says, Zachor, to remember the Shabbos. Um, in this week's Parsha it's to guard the Shabbos and so on. There's also one little mitzvah. I wasn't actually going to share this with you, but I just read it this morning and I thought it's unbelievable, so I'm just going to share it with you. But I'll share the screen first. Give me one second. There we are. Uh, you'll see it's not number one. in the. It's, it's, it's above number one because I'd already prepared the sheet. And then I saw that. So one of the psukim of this week's parashat is pasuk right here in the, in, the, in the top of the page. Where it says, Lo say sifu al hadover asher adoki eschem do not add anything onto the mitzvahs that I am uh, commanding you. And don't take away from any of the mitzvahs. To guard and protect the mitzvahs of Hashem, your God, that I am commanding you. So the, the classic interpretation of this Pasuk is, it's a mitzvah not to add or subtract from the mitzvahs. So, which is an, an incredible lesson anyway in its own right. In other words, we keep mitzvahs because Hashem told us to, and we follow the way He told us to do it. We don't make our own, we don't make our own so to speak, right? So, the, uh, for example, the, 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 the Gemara gives an example. Let's say we have the mitzvah of tefillin, and tefillin um, uh, has four paragraphs to it, so we don't put five. Someone says, you know, I think the parsha of uh, something else is very beautiful parsha. Which really will it really enhance the mitzvah? And it'll go together with it. That's that's taking away from the whole mitzvah. Or someone says, 
you know, I'm going to put a garment of five corners and have five corners of tzitzis because of the significance of number five. That's all terrible and one shouldn't do that. And of course, taking away. So one's not allowed to have three parashas instead of four. Or in sukkahs, not to just take three species instead of four. All that is part of this mitzvah. Obviously, it's, there's some gray areas because we know that the Torah tells us sometimes to add into things and sometimes we can add to mitzvahs. For example, we can add, um, I mean, the rabbis did this. They added to, for example, the, the added days of Yontif or the mitzvah of Lulav and Etrog is only to have it the first day, uh, but not the second day, only in the Beis Hamikdash. And nevertheless, we bench it in the entire circus because to remember the Beis Hamikdash. So there's different criteria of when you can add or not, but that's the, the basic idea, not to add to mitzvahs, not to subtract. So I saw a little word from Levi Yitzchak, uh, the father of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, he says the following. He says there's a pasuk in Yeshayahu Hanavi, that says, it talks about a sukkah, that says, the sukkah tihiyah letzeil yoimon. The sukkah will be for shade during the day, mechoyre, will maximally protection, ule mister, and to protect us, mizerem umotor, from a storm and from rain, from, from excessive rain. Right, so zerem is one word, mizerem means from the zerem, from the storm, umi motor, and from the motor, which is rain. He says the following, he says, Sukkah, the mitzvah of Sukkah we know represents the 248 positive commandments of the Torah. Why? Because when we go into a Sukkah, we go in fully, and we know that's how we fully, uh, uh, um, it's one of the few mitzvahs that we do with our entire body. So therefore the mitzvah of Sukkah represents this concept of doing the mitzvah with all our 248 limbs, and therefore that is representative of the 248 mitzvahs. And when we keep the mitzvahs properly, it becomes a protection from zerem and motor, storm and rain. If you take the word zerem, so zerem is 247. That's one less than 248. If you take the word motor, which is rain, it's 249, which is one more than 248. He says that's the idea, that Hashem gave us the 248 mitzvahs. We have to protect them, not to add, not to take away. So it shouldn't be more than, more, less than sukkah, which is zerem, more than sukkah, which is motor, and if we dedicate it to the mitzvah, then of course we'll be protected from the zerim and the motor. I just thought that's so beautiful. I'll show that with you. And uh, now I'll go back to my original program. So, that's the portion overview. Now, one of the things, of course, in this week's portion is the Shema. And I want to actually focus on the Shema a little bit. But before we do that, I want to just talk about, for a few moments, that this portion, this Shabbos is also a special Shabbos, because it's called Shabbos Nachamu. It's the Shabbos of comfort. It's the Shabbos after Tisha B'Av, and it's the Shabbos where we read the Haftorah. In fact, we start a process of seven comforting Haftorahs, which we read the first one of this week, this week, which is the Shabbos, um, which is the Haftorah of Nachamu from Ishayo Hanavi, which is uh, Nachamu, Nachamu Ami, be comforted, be comforted, my nation, Yoimar Elekechem, your God will say. So a double expression. So we have a fascinating, just want to talk about this double expression for a moment. So we have a fascinating medrash that tells us that there are five letters of the alphabet which are connected to redemption um, because of their doubling up. Now those are the five letters which have final letters. So we know the Aleph base has 22 letters, but there are five letters, the Chaf, the Mem, the Nun, um, the pay and the tzaddik. Those have simple letters and final letters. So there's a regular chaf and a final chaf, right? So the Medrash says in different ways, in different places, but the Medrash says that those five letters are connected to the Gula, and we find 
with regard to redemption and to going to Israel, we find a doubling up of all these letters. So for example, I'll just show you over here. We find Lech Lecha Me'artzecha. Right? So, Lech Lecha. So we find that there there's a final Chav. And we see the Chav is mentioned there in a Pasuk. It's a, it's, a, it's a letter which has double, and it's mentioned in a double way in the Pasuk which tells Avram Avinu to leave the diaspora and to go to Israel. Mem is the same thing. Mem was the one that Yitzchak Avinu was redeemed from the Philistines. Because it says they got, he, he went to the Philistines, his wife was captured, and then eventually Avimelech, the king of Plishtim, sent him away. And he said, Leich me imonu, go from us, ki otsamtomimenu me'oid. So you have stopped from us a lot. You have damaged us a lot. And we have Mimenu, we have the two letters of Mem, with double Mem. Nun, the same thing. Yaakov Avinu, when he prayed to be redeemed from Esau, he said, Hatsileini na, be saved, uh, save me please. Hatsileini has a Nun, na has a Nun. Pei, the same thing. Pei, we know, was the sign of the Jewish people going out of Mitzrayim. Right? Where Hashem said, and this was, by the way, the sign that Moshe Rabbeinu had to come from Hashem with. And that's when the Jewish people knew that he was the one who was going to take them out of Golis. And he said, the I have surely remembered you. A double pay. And then the tzaddik can, corresponds to the geula, to the redemption that will happen when Mashiach comes. Because it says, um, ish, uh, it says, Ish Tzemach Shmoi. There'll be a name, a person whose name is Tzemach, one of the names of Mashiach, the Tachtov Yitzmach, and under him will blossom. So Tzemach and Yitzmach is the same thing. So that idea of the five letters of the Alabes, which we find in double form, comes also in the various different uh, Geulahs, various different re- re- redemptions. So a similar thing with regard to this Shabbos. When we start the Shabbos and we talk about the redemption and the comfort that Hashem comforts the Jewish people for the future redemption through Mashiach and the rebuilding of the base of Mikdash, it says, Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami. Be comforted, be comforted. What's the concept of this doubling up? Many reasons. So some people say, Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami is the first base of Mikdash, the second base of Mikdash. Doubling up is just a strength. But the concept also of Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami is this idea of infinity, that it's double, it's more than just one. In other words, it shows that the Geula, the concept of redemption, is this abundance that's given to us from Hashem, that will transform the Golis into blessing, and there'll be this infinite, unlimited redemption that will come about when Mashiach comes. And I thought I'd just mention that because with Shabbos Nachamu, and we read the Nachamu, the, the two expressions, Nachamu, Nachamu, Amu, which has both got a Nun. I just wanted to point out that this idea that we have the 22 letters of the Aleph base, and there's five letters that double up, and they're all re- related to some form of redemption or another. Okay. What I wanted to do today is a little bit, something a little bit different. I wanted to focus on the first paragraph of Shema, which is this week's parasha, right? But also to focus on it in the context of davening. You see, there's a mitzvah to read Shema every day, which we'll talk about in a moment. But also we know we read the Shema in the context of davening. And I wanted to sort of explain how that works. Explain the Shema a little bit and explain how, how it works in, in davening. So Shema we know, uh, I'm, I'm talking about particularly the morning davening, right? In other words, it comes at a certain point in davening, it's for a reason, and I want to just give a little bit of insight of how the structure of davening takes place, so we get an understanding of, of the meaning of Shema. And in that context, I'm going to explain the, the, all the verses of the first paragraph of Shema. 
So I hope it will be beneficial. It's a little bit different style to what we normally do in the parsha, but I think it's an important thing to do. And uh, join me on this journey. So, first of all, let's talk about Shema generally. So Shema, we know, is the Yisoyed, it's the foundation of our Amunah, right? By the way, this week's parsha is the first parsha of Shema, next week is the second parsha. But let's talk about the first parsha, the first paragraph of Shema. So Shema is the foundation of our Amunah. It's the, the sentence, the declaration of our faith of our Amunah that... Yidden Jews have lived and died with for all generations. Um, it is a mitzvah to recite every day. It's a little bit different for men and for women. For men, there's a time-bound mitzvah to say in a particular time. They've got to do it in the morning before, before the time that we refer to as Sofzman Krishma, the end of the Shema, which is three halachic hours into the day. A little bit of a dispute of exactly what that means. But that's the mitzvah. At night, it's got to be after the stars come out. Women are normally exempt from time-bound mitzvahs, which means they're, they're exempt from this mitzvah of Shema, but nevertheless the Shulchan Aruch is very clear that one of the things women should recite every day is the Shema, because how can a Jew live without Shema? Shema, Shema needs to be recited every day. Okay. So, as I said, it's the foundation of our faith, and I want to just talk about the first Pasuk on a very simple, basic level, which is how the Shulchan Aruch tells us that we need to read Shema every day. The first Pasuk of Shema, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, um, which means, listen, Jewish people, Beishir Rabbeinu tells the Jewish people in this week's Pasha, listen, the Jewish people, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem is our God, Hashem is one. Um, the Shulchan Aruch says that when we recite Shema every day, we need to have in mind the following. When we say the word Hashem, which is Yud and Hey, Vav and Hey, that's the name of Hashem, which is not read that way. We're not supposed to read it that way. It'll only be read that way when Mashiach comes. So it's written Yud and Hey and Vav and Hey, but it's recited with Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yud, Adnai, right? Um, Ador, Anai. So when we, when we say the word Hashem, we're supposed to have in mind both the written form and the spoken form. The written form reminds us that God is omnipresent because the word Yud, Hey and Vav and Hey uh, is, made, is made up of three words. If you look in Yud, Kei, Vav, you'll see it has the word Yihye, which means will be, Hove, is, and Haya, was. So Hashem is Hayah, Hoveh, Ve'yiyeh, He was, is, and will be. That's the, that's the, that's the omnipresence and omnipotence of Hashem, the infinity of Hashem. And of course, the word, the way we pronounce it, Adon, means that Hashem is the master of the universe. When we say Elokeinu, Elokeinu means that Hashem is the judge of the world, that, he, that Elokeinu is a term of Elokim, uh, a term of, of Takif, the strength of Hashem, the judgment of Hashem, and so on and so forth. And just to remember that Hashem is Echad, Hashem is one. As the Shulchan Aruch says to us, that what does it mean Hashem is one? It's one, the word Echad is Aleph, Ches, and Dalid. So Ches is eight, refers to the seven heavens and the earth. Dalid is four, which refers to the four corners of the earth. All of that is controlled, created, and directed, and supervised by the Aleph, which is Alufor Shel Olam. Aleph stands for Aluf, the master of the universe, which is Hashem, right? That's the, that's the basic, uh, the basic thing. And of course, it's, then, then it says, now, in the Torah, we don't have the sentence of, that we say every day in Davening, Baruch Shem, Kvad Malchot Olam blessed be the name and the, the holy glory of Hashem and the sovereignty of Hashem forever. That is put in later. Lots of Kabbalistic stuff about why we say that, but essentially that has to do with two reasons. One is the Chazal tell us that it was a, a praise to Hashem that Moshe Rabbeinu heard on the mountain that the angels were praising God with that sentence. 
Moshe Rabbeinu, so to speak, stole it and gave it to us, which is, by the way, the reason, the symbolism of why we say it quietly, kind of not to, not to uh, enrage the Malachim, not to enrage the, 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 the angels that we stole their prayers, so to speak. That's why on Yom Kippur we say it loud, because on Yom Kippur um, we all compare to angels, and therefore we have the license to use their praise, which, their formula, which is Baruch Shem Kvod Malchotol Lamvaed. Another reason, of course, is has to do with the whole Shema Yisrael. There's a fascinating Medrash, and the Medrash is that Shema Yisrael, though only mentioned in the book of Dvarim, but it comes from earlier on, and that's when Yaakov Avinu was in Mitzrayim and about to pass away. He called all of his children together, and it says he gathered them together, and he was about to tell them when Mashiach is going to come. And he suddenly, he suddenly felt that the Shekhinah, the Divine Presence, is departing from him. So it says the Medrash, he... he felt maybe the reason that he doesn't feel the Shekhinah is because one of his sons is, is not, he thought all of his sons are tzaddikim. Maybe some of his sons are not so much on the program. Maybe, they, maybe there's sin, maybe there's um, transgression, there's lack of faith that is among the children that he doesn't know about. And he asked them that. To which they responded and they said, Shema Yisrael, listen Yisrael. Yisrael is the name of Yaakov, right? He has two names, Yisrael and Yaakov. Listen Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. We're all completely one with the belief in Hashem, Hashem is our God, Hashem is one. To which Yaakov responded to a, with a praise to Hashem, and he said, Baruch Hashem, like a, it's like a form of Baruch Hashem. So that's where it comes from. Okay, but we're not going to go too much into that now, because that's what we say, but it's not in the Chumash. So that's the, that's the thing. Okay. But as I said, then it goes with the, the mitzvah of loving Hashem, Hashem love Hashem your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Then it says all these words, I'm going to come back to this a little bit later. All the words that I'm commanding you should be on your heart. The mitzvah of learning Torah, which is the shinantam levanecha, you should teach your children and talk about them when you go and you're sitting in your house, when you're on the when you, when you're on the way, when you lie down, when you get up. And then we have the mitzvah of tefillin, which is the kshartem l'osal yatcha v'tosvanecha. Bind them on your arm and on your forehead. Uchsaftom al mezuzah is peisecha v'sharecha. The mitzvah of mezuzah to write these words on your doorpost and on your gates. But as I said before, what I want to discuss a little bit is how this comes in the context of tefillah. So in order to understand that, I want to just revisit the concept of davening and understand it. What does davening mean? So from a mystical perspective or a, or a Kabbalistic perspective, whatever you call it, we, we learn that davening is an elevation. It's when a person elevates themselves, goes on a spiritual journey, and it's like a ladder which goes from one rung to the next. Now, why do we say that it's why do we say that it's a ladder? So look over here in the Pasuk number four. It says by and he dreamt. That's a famous dream of Yaakov. There was a ladder firmly rooted on the ground. And its head reached the heaven. And the angels were coming up and down. So the, 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 uh, in Kabbalah particularly, we learn that this is davening. Davening is an opportunity for a person every single day. When a person wakes up, we might be firmly rooted on the ground, ground representing the lower level. And when we take the journey of davening, we climb that ladder, and we reach the, highest, the heights of divine connection. So that's this idea that davening is called aliyah. It's called an elevation. We elevate ourselves. We connect. We talk to Hashem and we connect. We know that the word tefillah means prayer. 
But the word tefillah in Mishnaic Hebrew, in a different context, also means to connect. Right? It uh, comes from a Mishnah which talks about putting back together an earthenware shattered vessel that's got in context of the laws of purity and impurity. And the language is used, Hatofel Klecheres, someone who reconnects the pieces of the earthenware, earthenware vessels. That's the idea of tefillah, connection to Hashem. Now just to, just to emphasize a bit more, let's just talk about, we've done this before, but let's just revisit this concept and understand the difference between Torah and Tefillah. Learning and davening, right? Which are two main forms of connection with Hashem, two means of communication with Hashem, but they're very different. So we know that one of the differences between Torah and Tefillah go like this. That Torah, Torah learning is the word of Hashem. So Torah learning is really Hashem speaking to us. Hashem is giving us His word. Tefillah, davening, is us speaking to Hashem. So it's two sides of the conversation. That's number one. That's why in these works, in the works of, of, of Kabbalah and Hasidic masters and so on, Torah is called Hamshacha. Torah is called bringing down. It's the word of Hashem coming down to us. Hashem allowing us. He's giving us. He's giving us the gift of His wisdom, of His words, of His precious Torah. So He teaches us the Chumash, it teaches us, the Halach, it teaches us, the Gemara, it teaches us the Torah concepts. And it's coming down and lowering himself to explain it in words and in a language which we can understand. So that's Torah, right? Tefillah is different. Tefillah, we are connecting, we're elevating. We are having a conversation with Hashem. We are approaching God. Which means we might be one place, but we're approaching Him and we're talking to Him. That's one difference. Therefore, the other difference is that Torah when it comes down to a person who's maybe not refined or not changed, Torah is the energy of the soul. So what Torah does when we learn, and even if you feel energized by the Torah that we learn, Torah energizes the soul of the person, but doesn't change the animalistic parts of the person. It doesn't change the nefesh habamit, the animal soul of the person, right? Tefillah, the idea of tefillah, the idea of davening, is actually for us to connect and to change ourselves, to actually refine the animal parts of who we are. Which explains something different. It explains why Torah is primarily intellectual, and Tefillah is by definition emotional. We say that the whole idea of, of Torah is to understand Hashem's words, because the primary force of the godly soul we are talking, I'm doing this very briefly, but it's important to understand as we go further. The primary force of the, of the godly soul is inside is understanding God, and therefore that's the language the soul understands. However, our animal soul, which is what we're trying to elevate when during davening, the, the, the language of the animal soul is emotion. It's animalistic, it's impulsive. It's emotional being like an animal, right? So therefore we have to bring along the animal soul in terms of its emotional journey to develop, to, uh, to, uh, to conjure up the concept of love of Hashem. Oops, why is this? The conjure up the love of Hashem and the and the and the emotional connection towards towards God, which by the way explains another difference between Torah and Tefillah, that we say Torah is synonymous with peace, shalom. To learn, it's difficult to get to the shir. Sometimes the concepts are difficult to understand. But once we understand them, we don't have resistance. On the contrary, it's it's a very beautiful, it's a very beautiful process, right? Whereas Tefillah, the Zohar tells us Tefillah is a time of war. It's hard to daven. Everyone will know that. It's hard to daven. And there's a reason for that. The Zohar says, 
the time of davening is a time of war, because the davening Torah is we talking to the soul. The soul doesn't resist. Davening is trying to elevate the animal parts of who we are, and that is a war. That there's resistance. That's why we have to work very very hard. And that that hard effort is a sulam. It's a it's a ladder that goes from the beginning to the top. So having said that, so therefore we understand what is what is what is davening. Davening is an emotional experience. What's the emotional experience? What does that mean? We're connecting with God emotionally. What are we trying to do? What does it mean to connect with God emotionally? Connecting with God emotionally means essentially to fulfill the mitzvah, right? To fulfill the mitzvah that it says in the Torah, you shall love Hashem. That's what davening is. Davening is to, is to love Hashem. Now, by the way, I'm not talking about the separate part of davening. There's two concepts behind davening. There's the journey of davening and what it does for us and to us. And then there's the halachic definition of davening, which is to ask Hashem for our own needs. They're actually connected. And if we have time, I'll, I'll show you how they connect during davening. And that is fulfilled mainly during the Amidah. And we'll hopefully connect with this idea as well. But, but in terms of the rest of davening, it's more about connecting, conversing, talking to Hashem, and building up, hopefully in some level, at least intellectually, emotionally on some level, to make a dent and to build up this concept of love of Hashem. Now, how do we build up love of Hashem? We know the famous Rambam and the famous concept we've talked about many times. That there's a mitzvah in the Torah to love Hashem or to fear Hashem. How do you command us to love Hashem? We know that you can command someone to, to go and explore certain concepts. You can command someone to engage in an intellectual idea, whether they agree with it or not. You can command someone to perform a mitzvah, but you cannot perform. Because they, they can force, they can, they can, we're all capable of forcing ourselves to do something we don't want to do. But it's very hard to command us to love something. You either love him or you don't. It's simple, right? It's a matter of personality. It's a matter of emotion. It's a matter of, 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 of what you want, right? So it's a very hard to say you must love your neighbor. You must love Hashem. What does it mean? I, I either do or I don't. So we know the famous Rambam, of course, that the mitzvah is really to engage in ideas to convince ourselves that there's nothing more important than Hashem, which, which is done through understanding the greatness of Hashem, the, the lowliness of this existence, the insignificance of material pursuit as opposed compared to divine pursuit. All of those things help us be misbonen, help us reflect, help us understand the priorities of life. Once we understand, hopefully we eventually shift ourselves from wanting and being connected to those things which are much more mundane and much more physical and material and we start to conjure up hopefully the desire actually to connect to something more godly right so i say that because that is the theme of davening really if you look at davening throughout davening till we get to shema right till we get to shema until we get to the shema Esher, till we get to Amida, it's really all about the greatness of Hashem, it's praising Hashem, it's understanding Hashem's creation, it's, it's, it's talking about how the angels understand the holiness of Hashem, and so on and so forth. And it's really about trying to daven, and trying to really understand those words a little bit, each to our own level, and to reflect upon them, and to really try and instill in our own mind and mindset and hearts, this concept that really the things that we often pursue 
are really very insignificant and unimportant, and it's much more worthwhile for us to pursue and to love God, right? So how does that work? So we have three parts of davening before we get to the Amidah, right? which is the fourth part. We have what's called Psuke de Zimra. Okay, now I'm going to go through the journey a little bit. We have Psuke de Zimra. Psuke de Zimra literally means the, the Psukim, the verses of praise, right? The main part of that part of davening is Ashrei, when we say Ashrei. Now, if you look in that part of davening, right, it's very much about understanding the greatness of Hashem in, in the context of Hashem being creator of the world, right? So I'll give, you, I'll give you a couple of examples. Let's say even the Ashrei, right? So even, even before that, even let's say we start Baruch Shamar. In Baruch Shamar we say that Hashem is Oiseberashis, He makes creation. He has mercy on the world, on the people He created, and so on, right? In the Ashrei we talk about Malchuska Malchus Kol Elamim, Hashem's sovereignty is over the entire universe. And Hashem opens up his hand and sustains the creation, acknowledging that everything we have comes from Hashem. Right? Hashem gives the animal the food, Hashem melts the snow, creates the snow, and so on and so forth. Then we have that one about we say all the angels should pray, praise him. All the, all the creation should praise him. The seas, the oceans, the, the, the land, and so on and so forth. Right? So it's praises to God. It's praising Hashem as the creator of the universe. Now, we need, that's important. We'll understand how that changes a bit a little later in Davide. What's the idea? Because when we wake up in the morning... Before we start the daven, we're spiritually empty. Why are we spiritually empty? Because we know that when we go to sleep, the neshama actually leaves our body. Sleep is the 60th of death, as the Chazal say. And therefore the neshama goes for a purification, refreshing course. And therefore Hashem gives back our neshama in the morning, which is why we say, Ani. And when Hashem gives back our neshama in the morning, there's a pasuk which says, Neshama be'apoy. That the neshama is in the nostril. Which means the following. Just like Hashem blew into Adam Arishan the, the, the Neshama into the nostril of Adam Arishan, so to, so to speak, every single day Hashem gives us back our Neshama through the nostrils, through the nose. But when He gives us back, it takes time till the Neshama permeates the rest of our existence. So really, the, during the night, there's a bit of a disconnect between the body and soul. So therefore, the, the, the soul goes up and becomes much more spiritual, but the body becomes much more empty and much more coarse because the body is soulless. It doesn't have a soul at the intensity, at the level that it has during the day. So in the morning, if davening is about changing our physical, animalistic part of who we are, that part is very much not spiritualized when we wake up in the morning. And we're much more connected to the mundane and to the material before we start davening. And therefore what we do is, we prepare for davening, we get a focus, that's some of the morning brachot, and so on and so forth. Some people learn before davening, and then we daven. Now, the first thing we do in davening is, we say psuked zimra. Now, the word zimra means praise. But the word zimra also has another translation. The psukim of zimra, zimra actually means lezamer, to prune, like when you prune a tree, to cut off. Because we are taught by the, by, the, by the great masters that Psuke de Zimra, the first 
rung of the ladder of davening is about disconnecting from the mundane. It's about just moving away so we can get in focus. The way we do that is by remembering the insignificance of what we connected to, by understanding that everything that we connected to is all created from Hashem, and all create all, excuse me, all comes from Hashem, and all comes from Him as the Creator, and He guides and He He decrees and He makes it happen, and so on and so forth. That's the thrust. That's the theme. As we get into it, as we keep on reminding ourselves, Hashem is the Creator in so many different beautiful ways throughout Pesuket okay, Zimra. We move away from being connected to the mundane, to the world and worldliness as it is on its own, and we shift our focus towards Hashem much more, much more intense. That's why it's called Pesuket de Zimra, and that's why in that's why in 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 this part of davening, when we're still very much connected to the world, we at least move away from that connection to the world as an independent being, but we move towards understanding that Hashem is the creator, we relate to Hashem as the creator of the world. That's the first part of davening, Psuke de Zimra. Then, we move on, after Ishtabach, we move on to the, what we call the blessings of Shema. And the blessings of Shema, we actually ratchet up a little bit. We go deeper. In the first, you'll notice, in the first blessings of Shema, it actually talks about the world, but really shifts a little bit away from the fact of Hashem relating to the world, and much more talks about the holiness of Hashem, especially with regard to the angels. The angels appreciating the holiness of Hashem. For example, we say, Kodosh, 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 Hashem Tzavosh, we say how the angels proclaim three times the holiness of the world. And so on. The holiness of Hashem, I mean. What do we do during this? I'm just telling you one perspective, of course. This is, this is one idea to understand. So in the blessings of Shema, right, we say it's not just that Hashem creates the world. It's much more than that. Because when we talk about Hashem as a creator of the world, that's actually a lower level of godly revelation. We're talking about how Hashem relates to a finite world. When we talk about the holiness of Hashem, what we're really talking about is an infinite presence of Hashem, which doesn't even relate to the world. It's not that He controls the world, which means He controls the world, that the world is significant, it's just all controlled by Hashem. It's much deeper than that. It's that Hashem is transcendent completely. That Hashem is really... He chose to have a world. He chose to create a a finite creation, but Hashem in His infinite has no connection. He's infinitely greater and detached from the concept of a finite existence. He chose to create one. That's why He lowers Himself through a process we call Tzimtzum to relate to the world existent. But He actually really Himself is far beyond and infinitely greater and incomparable to a finite existence. All of this, all of this sends us in a particular direction. Because, and, and then of course in, 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 the, in the bracha before Shema, we ask Hashem to connect us to Him, to really appreciate this and to really understand this and so on and so forth. Right? Where is this a lead up to? It's all a lead up to the Shema. Because let's go back to the first passage of Shema. When we start off slow, we realize that everything that we exist Everything that is created is all, is all by Hashem. Hashem is the source of all blessing. Hashem creates everything and so on and so forth. 
And then actually we go even deeper, we say that really Hashem Himself really is completely, to Him the world is completely insignificant. Because really He's infinitely greater than the world. He has no real attachment to, a fo- to, fin- to finiteness. The way we understand the finiteness and the, and, 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 the, and, and the mortality of this world. Then we can come to a real understanding of Hashem Echad. Hashem is one. Because when we understand Hashem Echad, what, is it mean, what does it mean Hashem Echad? Hashem Echad means many things. On a basic level it means He's the only God. Deeper than that means Hashem Echad means that He's the only source of any blessing. He controls everything. He's the sole authority. Everything that happens is from Him. But then when we take it deeper, the word Hashem Echad really means He's the only true reality. He's the only true reality. This world is so insignificant. It's so low, so to speak. It's so... It's such a flimsy existence because it has no existence without Hashem. It has no existence... It needs to be completely propped up by Hashem. Finiteness really isn't in Hashem's reality. He chose to make a finite world, but really He is he's the true existence. His infinite being, His infinite presence is the true existence. Hashem Echad really means that He's the only true reality. And that everything that exists is only really an expression of Him. An expression of His power of creation. An expression of His will that there should be a world. But really this world... He's really a world of nothingness, unless, unless we connect to God, and we make this God, a, we make this world a godly place, of course, because then the world becomes significant, because that's what Hashem wants us to do. But the world, in its own, its independent state, worldliness, materialism, physicality, is really complete nothingness. We build ourselves up to the Shema Yisrael, Hashem Alakenu, Hashem Echad. Now, let's just go through that passage a little bit. First of all. Very interesting, just to share with you a couple of insights. We know that, the, as I put here on, on the handout, the ayin, the letter ayin of Shema, and the letter Dalad of Echad are big. Right? Know that. Why are they big? Because they make up the word aid. Aid means testimony. That when we say Shema, we are testifying to ideas that are the oneness of Hashem. We're testifying to, to Aramuna. Now, what is this concept of testimony? So the, the, the Mekubalim explained the following. That when do you call a witness in a court? Right? What is the function of a witness? What does it mean that we testify? What does that mean? When you call a witness to a court, you never call a witness for something that's obvious. Right? No judge, no, no lawyer, no... Defendant, no, no nothing, has to know what, what everyone can see. You don't need a witness for that. Right? You don't call it a, a witness to tell you that the wall is white. You can see the wall is white. What is, what is testimony? The definition of testimony is to testify about something that you don't know about. Something that currently is hidden. Something that is currently unknown and the testimony reveals it. So when we say Shema, and the ayin and the dalit are big because it has the word aid, which means testifying. And aid means that we test, what are we testifying to? We're testifying to a depth of emunah, to a depth of faith in Hashem that is not so known. In other words, we're not just saying that Hashem is the creator of the world. That is no, that's an obvious thing. That's an intellectually sound thing. But we're talking about a deeper faith. We're talking about that Hashem is one, 
true, in other words, is the only true reality and there's really no other reality that is worth connecting to other than Hashem because He's the ultimate reality. That's a much, it's a, it's a, it's a much greater surrender. It's a much greater, what they call in the Hasidic philosophy, bitul. It's a much greater complete self-nullification and surrender and complete giving ourselves over to Hashem, which is why the Pasuk of Shema Yisrael, this verse of Shema Yisrael was always synonymous with the concept we call Mesiris Nefesh, giving up, when Jews gave up their life for God, they screamed Shema Yisrael. Why? Or for example, when we finish Yom Kippur, and at the end of Ne'ilah we scream Shema Yisrael, there's an inscription in some, in some machzarim that the Shalom, the great Kabbalist, the Shalom HaKadosh says that when you say Shema at the end of Yom Kippur, when we've gone through a whole Yom Kippur, we should, we should feel that we're ready to give up our life for Hashem. Obviously, we want to live, but if we feel that we're ready to do it, Hashem it considers it as if we've done it, right? That concept, why? Because it's only when we really reveal that depth of faith that Hashem Echad in the true sense, that there's no real other true existence other than Hashem, then we're able to completely surrender to Him. And then we're able to completely love Him because there's nothing else worth pursuing other than Hashem. Now, of course, this is easy to say all this stuff and difficult to, to internalize. And, and, and really, that's why we do it day in and day out, right? I heard from, I think I've said this before, I heard from a great chassid, his name was Reb Zalman Serebransky, he's live in Melbourne. And he said, why is the Dalud of Echad big? He said, because it looks like an axe. And he used to say in Yiddish, Medafarayn hakin den echad in kop. He says, you've got to knock the echad, the echad into our... It doesn't just come, you've got to think about it every day and really contemplate in it and learn about it, understand it. Not just, not just believe it, but understand it. And that's, that's why there's another concept behind the ayin and the dalit. So ayin and dalit means aid, testimony. We're testifying to something that is very deep, a deep level of faith. But it also comes, if you turn around the dalit and ayin, it comes to the word da, to know. The word shema Yisrael, what does it mean to listen? Listen Israel. The word Shema is not just about knowing. The word Shema is a listening, not just physiologically listening. The word Shema means it's, it's, a, it's a, the command from Hashem. Shema, listen, absorb, internalize, understand, learn. Learn about Hashem. Learn about the existence of Hashem. Learn about faith. Because uninternalized faith doesn't bring the love of Hashem. We have the faith. We can talk about it. But we have to understand it and contemplate it and and, and reflect on it and meditate on it and so on and so forth until we really internalize it. And we do it day in and day out so we should always go to a higher level. So that's the idea of Shema Yisrael. And then we say Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu. Again, same idea. Hashem Elokeinu are these two ideas. Let me, let me just explain this. So in the, in, in the light of what I just explained. Elokeinu comes from the same name of Hashem Elokim. That is God how He relates to a finite existence. When Hashem created the world, Bereshit bara Elokim. He created the world of Elokim. That's the name of Tzimtzum as we know it in, in the Hasidic philosophy terminology. It's, the, it's Hashem hiding His infinite presence and creating and making space for a finite world. Elokim, Elokim. That's Hashem how He relates to this world. That's a world that just needs to know that the finite world that exists, Hashem created it. That's all. But we preface it by saying Hashem. Yudke Vavke. Yudke Vavke is the infinite presence of Hashem. It's the transcendent presence of Hashem. Ha- Yudke and Vavke, Hayahovevye. He was, he is, and he will be. He's the infinite God, the transcendent God. And what we say in Shema is that Hashem Elokeinu. We want that level of Hashem. We want that level of 
God's infinity, the true understanding of the existence of God, to become Elokeinu, to become our God, to be to come into our physical finite existence. So we should relate not just to the Elokim, but relate to the Hashem Yudke Vavke, so that we should be able to understand and internalize that Hashem Echad, that Hashem is truly one, meaning one, the only true, the true existence. And therefore, understanding all of that which is the climax after the whole journey of davening so far, where we, talk, where we start off slow, we talk about Hashem, how He relates to this world. That's one relationship. And then we go deeper, understanding the, trans- the transcendence of Hashem, the infinity of Hashem. We finally arrive at the Pasuk, Shema Yisrael Hashem Olakeinu Hashem Echad. Oneness of Hashem, which then hopefully leads to love of God. That's why the next thing is, Ve'ahavta Hashem Olakeinu, you shall love Hashem your God. And the Mepharshim explained a very beautiful idea that on the word ve'ahavta could mean a command, you should love Hashem your God. Also another translation of ve'ahavta simply in Hebrew is ve'ahavta and you will love God. You will love God. Meaning if you do all of this, if you daven properly, if you think about it properly, if you day in and day out reflect on these concepts and learn about them, Understand the deeper meaning behind the verses of Davide. Understand their real deep understanding of how they all relate to this idea of what we call Achtus Hashem, the oneness of God. Then Ve'ahavtas Hashem Alekecha. You will love Hashem your God. How will you love Him? Three levels. Bechol Levavcha. Meaning you will love Him not with your whole heart. Whole heart means the two letters of base. Now you will love Him not only with your soul. The soul already loves Hashem. But you'll hold, you'll, you'll You'll love him with your entire being, both the letter base, levavcha, your animal soul and your godly soul, yetzer tov and yetzer Why? Because you've gone through a process where you've explained to yourself and you've studied and you've learned and you've learned it with human intellect. You've convinced yourself, you've convinced your, even your animal soul that there's nothing else worth pursuing and connecting to than God. So that's bechol Not only that, your love is so deep, bechol nafshecha. Nafshcha means that it permeates your entire soul. It permeates everything about you. All your might. Now, so much is written about these three expressions, but I'm not going to go into such depth now, just to touch on it. means that you're ready to everything, just complete surrender. You're ready to give up your life for Hashem. Which doesn't mean, by the way, right? and, and, and in many, many places it explains that is again this concept of mysterious nefesh giving up our life. Now, we don't want to give up our life. We want to live, right? What does it mean giving up our life? So this is Bechol Ma'adecha. When we when we ready, you see, when we're ready to understand the true meaning of Hashem Echad, then we're ready for Bechol Ma'adecha. Now, Bechol Ma'adecha can mean, can mean giving up your life. Where, where, where it's necessary. You know, I just read um, last week a very, very great chassid passed away. And if people are aware of it, his name was Rabbi Yoel Khan. Yoel Khan was an incredibly bright man, incredibly great chassid. He died of 91. He, uh, came, he lived in Israel, he grew up in Israel, but he, from Russia originally. He came to the Lubavitcher Rebbe in 1950, and he was the one who would teach and disseminate and compile and remember the Rebbe's talks on Shabbos. Very, very deep, incredibly deep person, taught the deepest ideas. Anyway, a very great, great leader. But he had a father, he came from Russia. He had a father, and just because it was, it was on my mind, I read a book this week about his father in Russia. His father was sentenced to exile and forced labor for three years in Russia for a 
transgression, he never quite understood that that's something to do with his connection to teaching Torah or underground Chadorim. And he got, then he writes, and the way he writes his memoirs, there were certain things like he was a very great Hasid and he understood these ideas that we're talking about and like the real mysterious nefesh, the real giving up one's life. He arrived the first Shabbos and he just said, like, I am not working on Shabbos. And the guy said, are you mad? Like, you get killed. He said, well, it's just not happening. Do what you want with me. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not working. And things like that. Um, refused to eat non-kosh. All these things, the most amazing de- dedication. It was simple. They were ready to do it. Doesn't matter what happened. Now, thank God we don't live in that environment. But we still, and, and this is something that's taught, something we're thinking about. We still have this concept called mysterious nefesh, giving up a life. What does that mean? So it, what's explained many times is that the concept of Mesirut Nefesh today means Mesirat Haratzin, it means giving up our will. That we are ready to go beyond our comfort zone. We're ready to grow. We're ready to do something that's uncomfortable for us, for Hashem's sake. In other words, this all applies to each person on their own level. But when we go through the process of daviding and we contemplate and reflect on this, hopefully if we do it properly, and we get to the understanding, at least in our mind, at least intellectually, even though we haven't yet maybe emotionally got there completely, a little bit made a dent on some level, and we understand Hashem Echad, and we understand Ve'ahavtas Hashem Elakecha, V'chol Avavcha, V'chol Nashcha, V'chol Me'odecha, everything about me, and complete surrender, what it means in our context means, it means we're ready to give up something. Ready to give up our comfort, to do something for Hashem, give up, Go beyond ourselves. That's the, that's the concept of, that's how we apply the concept of Mesiris Nefesh nowadays. But then the Shema continues in a very important way. And the Shema continues in the following way. It says like this. So at this point, the person, I'm talking about the ideal davena. I'm not talking about necessarily what we're able to achieve, but this is the model, right? We apply little bits and pieces of it as we can, but I'm talking about now the person who's truly achieving this. He gets to this point, the great tzaddik that davens, right? He gets to this point that he's filled with love of Hashem. Real love. Completely, he wants to just connect with Hashem. At this point, he gets a person who could get to this idea, get to this level, doesn't want to even be in this world. He's looking for a way to quench the thirst of his, of his love. He has such love for Hashem, he yearns for Hashem. He has a disdain at this point for the, for the physical existence. He rejects the worldliness and materialism and what's only wants to connect to Hashem. So it's like a person who's thirsty, but where's the water? So comes along the Pasuk and says, at this point, if you really dedicated to Hashem, you really want to connect to Hashem, let me show you how. First of all, The words that I am commanding you today need to be on your heart, which means you need to learn Torah. And therefore, you shall teach them to your children. And you should speak the words of Torah. You shall continuously learn. That's how you connect Hashem. You love Hashem. You really want to connect it. How are you going to implement that love? How are you going to fuel that love? How are you going to feel, quench the thirst of that amazing love to Hashem? Learn. First of all, learn. When you're in your home, when you're living, sitting in your house, when you're going on the way, when you go to sleep and you get up, continuously learning. Understand Hashem's wisdom, internalize Hashem's perspective on the world. Learn His mitzvahs. When you know we learn Hashem, as the Zohar tells us, the Torah is inseparable from God. So if we learn Torah, 
And the Zohar says, no mind can understand Hashem, but Hashem has allowed us to grasp the Torah. So therefore, if we understand Hashem, the more we internalize the wisdom of Hashem, we understand His mitzvahs, we understand His Torah, the more we connect to Him. If we, if we, we, if we, if we bond with the Torah, we bond with Hashem. Now, I was going to go into a whole thing at this point, but we're running out of time, so I'll just mention it very briefly. It's very fascinating that we learn the mitzvah of learning Torah from this Pasuk. And the Rambam, when he talks about the laws of learning Torah, he also starts with this Pasuk. And it's very strange that this is actually is not a Pasuk about learning Torah. It's, about Pasuk, it's a Pasuk about teaching our children Torah. And one of the reasons that the whole concept of learning Torah comes from this Pasuk is because not only is the, is the Torah telling us we have to learn Torah, the Torah is telling us how to learn Torah. Because it is possible, says the Gemara, that a person can learn Torah and not connect to Hashem. Because Torah is somewhat dangerous. Torah is an intellectual exercise. Once you start, once you start understanding something with your own intellect, that could make you more arrogant. That could make you more disconnected. That could make you more of an independent entity, entity about doing things your own way. So with Torah, we have this paradox. You have to learn Torah and understand Torah, but be completed, surrendered to Hashem's will and the truth of Torah. Never deviate from the foundations of Torah. So therefore the Torah says, you have to, if you want to be connected to Hashem, you have to learn Torah, but you have to learn Torah with the foundation of being like a child. A child who knows where the Torah comes from. Learn it as God's Torah. Understand it. Analyze it. Go into deeply. Intellectualize it. Argue. Anal- you know, really go into it and understand like an academic subject. But know where it comes from. Understand that it's Hashem's Torah. And be committed and surrender to the truths that, that form the principles of the Torah. Don't deviate from them. That's why the midst of learning Torah comes from Mishinantam Levadecha. Teach it to your children. In other words, be like a child when you learn Torah. Part one. Then says the Shema... You want, to, you want to connect to Hashem. You have a love now. You've davened. You have a love for Hashem. Now you want to put that love into practice. Learning Torah is part one. Part two is doing mitzvahs. Action. Put them for a sign on your hand. and Sorry, on your, put a sign on your, on, your, on, your, on your arm, on your hand, and a sign between your eyes. Now, the mitzvah of tefillin, the, 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 that, that's the, 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 the Gemara says that it's a very general mitzvah. All the mitzvahs are compared to, to tefillin. Now, so what does that mean? Why is all mitzvahs? So tefillin is not just tefillin, right? We're talking, this is a shear for women and it's not necessarily a women's mitzvah, right? But, but tefillin is not just the mitzvah of tefillin. Tefillin is the model. Tefillin is about three levels. It's about taking the concepts we have in our head, bringing them to our heart, which is really what we're doing during davening, we're thinking ideas, hopefully Im- impacting on the heart. That's why we have tefillin on the head and the heart. And then we tie them on our fingers. The fingers represent action. You've got to do mitzvahs. Mitzvahs have to make, in other words, we've got to connect to Hashem through action, through behavior, through understanding and doing Hashem's mitzvahs that He asked us to do. Act, the, the, elevating the world, elevating up, up, uh, the objects of this world. And then the Torah, this part of the Shema ends with one particular mitzvah, and write these words on the mezuzah, it's a mitzvah mezuzah, which again is a very, very general mitzvah because it tells us about it creating not only ourselves to be committed to Hashem, to do the mitzvahs, but creating the environment. Everything about our house should be connected to Hashem. Everything about our environment, our home, is 
aligned with this amuna, with this faith in God that we, we achieve through the concept of Shema. Just to end off one little bit, after that, we say a little bit, a few paragraphs, then we get to the Shema Esher. The Shema Esher, the Amidah, is the final letter. And in fact, it's the final connection to Hashem. Because up until now, we, we love of Hashem, relationship with Hashem, even at the great level of the relationship with Hashem, when we say Hashem Echad and Ve'ahavta, it's still a relationship of two separate entities. The Amidah, we are taught, once we go through the ladder of davening, the Amidah represents the total bond. Where there isn't even a relationship, it's just one thing. We're totally connected. Um, now, that needs to be explored, but I just wanted to finish with that, because that's why Shoresha, we stand up, we put our feet together, and we talk quietly. It's like total, total union, total bond. And what's interesting is that when we get to the Amidah, it's specifically then that we ask for our personal needs. Amazing thing. You'd imagine personal needs is not like when we, at the height of our connection with God, the last thing in our mind should be how much money we need to make. Or the last thing in our mind should be, I don't know, a problem that we had yesterday or today, right? But no, it's explained that actually it's specifically at that point that we ask for our personal needs. Why? Because that's the point where we can ask for our personal needs. Because sometimes when we ask for our personal needs, that could be indulgent. Worrying about ourselves too much. But when we get to the ultimate connection with Hashem at Shemona Esra, at Amidah, that's the place to ask for your personal needs because that's, that's the place where we can ask for our personal needs in the right way. Because why do we want health? Why do we want sustenance? Hopefully you want them for the right reason, to use it out to serve Hashem better, to use it out to be able to learn with, with clarity of mind and peace of mind, to learn it out so we can have, we can give it Charity and tzedakah and help other people so that we can be strong and not distracted by other tzoros and things like that. So that's our commitment. So when we ask Hashem for those personal needs, we're also committing to Him at that moment of union um, that we, we're asking for those personal needs and we hope that the purpose of asking is that we actually be able to use it out for the proper way. And that's the highest point of tefillah. Then of course, after, after Shemadeshra comes all the other parts of davening where Kabbalistically it's coming down the ladder. Coming down the ladder and hopefully then taking everything that we've achieved during davening and putting it into practice throughout the whole day. And that's, and that's the concept. So the reason I did this was really to understand how the Shema fits into davening, just to understand the different parts of the Shema. So the Shema, the first passage, just in summary, is therefore a climax of everything we've thought about in the journey up until Shema, when we reach that realization of Hashem Echad, the complete oneness of Hashem, which then results into the love of Hashem, how do we then quench the thirst of that love? Torah learning, mitzvahs and behavior, action, and that's the first paragraph of Shema. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll stop it there. And I hope everyone has a good day. And uh, hopefully we can all achieve some of these things, at least at some level, each one of us in our own way.